Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Never let me slip, cause if I slip, then I'm slipping. But if I got my Nina, then you know I'm straight tripping. And I'm gonna continue to put the rap down, put the Mac down. And if your bitches talk, I'm shit, sorry, is the line slip. never let me slip? Because if I slip, I'm slipping. Indeed. Okay. And, and by the way, that's 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 true. That's an actual <laughs> geometric proof right there. That's a QED at the end of that. <laughs> I believe that was Euclid. Uh, who originally said that <laughs> it is true if you slip then you're slipping that's it a is fact true. don't argue with the man 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys You're still at work. Still at work, which means I'm going to have to keep the profanity to a minimum. I'm in my office and there are students out in the hallway. So now, Ben, you're in your office. Do you have to keep profanity to a minimum? I do not. I am going to keep profanity to a maximum. I just finished five hours, five hours of committee meetings. Oh, so just one straight faculty meeting from 1 p.m. to 6 15 p.m. So I'm extra punchy. Holy shit. That sounds. Like a long ride uh, at the University of Tennessee. Well, I, I'm doing great here on this beautiful day in Asheville, North Carolina. Welcome to 50 Years of Music with 50-year-old white guys as we explore 1992 on the Music City Podcast Network. I got to tell you a quick story. I, I hosted a party for Thanksgiving. We were outside. I had a fire going and everything, and everybody's out there. And my friend Kellett is talking to someone else and he says, well, did you know that, you know, they're talking music and they're talking, oddly enough, about the band Boston. And he says, well, did you know that the, the guy, the, the lead singer, you know, he pretty much did that whole album in his basement. He was by himself and he's in the basement. He, he recorded it and produced it. And the other person's like, no way. And I'm like on the periphery. And my First friend, of all, to know, me, there's no way that I, people at a party are talking about the band Boston and you don't start it. You're I, just for sure, bar none. You're like, hey, friends, how about the band Boston? How about the town Boston? How about the Boston Celtics? How about something Boston? And they just this is like, This is like when the preacher's like, I was on an airplane last oh, week yeah, and a totally. woman came up to me. Anyway, uh, Kellett looks uh, at me and it clicks with him. He's like, wait a minute. I think I heard that on your podcast. 
Nice. And, and that is the first time Ben Barton has had a, uh, a, a <laughs> reference in my life from someone other than me, you know, like our podcast is making waves. It's creating conversations out there. It's the marketing department, man. The marketing department is killing it. Bringing people together. Did you big green egg your turkey this year, uh, Tim? No, I earth fared my turkey and they made it as dry as mom's turkey growing up. Just oh, no. in your mouth. It was terrible. Sorry, Tim, have you done fair. the deep fryer? No, I have not. I'm, I'm you live afraid. in the South and you haven't done the deep fat fryer because no. I can strongly recommend it. I know I've seen the videos where things catch on fire. It looks terrible. That's for, yeah, come on. Seriously. That's why you do it in the backyard. What could burn in the backyard? So somebody told me this year that they got the um, the backbone broken. So it flattened out and uh -huh. they, they uh, fry seared it flat on each oh. side for, and said that was kind of a magical new way of doing it. So break the turkey's backbone. Let me write this down. It, so like the whole thing is like a, like a butterball, oh, like, yeah, yeah. like a flat filet. Yeah. Yeah, man. We had my family from New York come down and I was like, we're not kidding around at all. And the, the, the deep fat fryer is actually just a propane tank oh, yeah. with fire shooting out of it because you have to boil like, you know, 20 gallons oil. of yeah. peanut oil. Yeah. So it's like just a blaze in the backyard. I got all this peanut oil in there. We throw the stupid oh. bird in there. And I mean, first of all, uh, I don't know if you know what happens when you put a wet item in boiling <laughs> oil. I'm going to go ahead and say suboptimal. Like, I dropped it and ran away, and it was like Did I got burns on the back of my body from the splash out. From it. This is my concern, man. This sounds no, terrible. Dude, listen. Then we pulled it out, and I'm also it's heavy as hell. So pulling it out is not easy. Like you have to get like the actual meat hook. Like I, I actually know what a meat hook is now because I've used it to remove my turkey. God. And you pull it out, and then you do French fries in the greasy turkey oil. Oh my oil. god, oh, yeah. dude! Wow. Dude. And also, I mean, like you, you all—I don't have to convince you. Fried food's amazing. A fried oh. turkey was revelation. Like it was so good. <laughs> you don't have to convince us. Thanks. Yes, this is uh, the podcast where you come for all your fried food needs. Uh, but we have to also play music, apparently, because that's, that's our genre. Jeff Simons, the number, no, sorry, the Grammy winner for 1992. Uh, finally, Ben, the Grammys are going to get back on track. Hit it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I was so bad. I forgot to load it up because I was so upset. So, Ben, you will know this. You will know this so <laughs> quickly, and you're just not going to believe it. Are you ready? Let's do it. It's the Grammy winner. Unplugged by Eric Clapton. See if you can spot this one. <laughs> oh, it's the greatest! Oh, it's the last hard you took the perfect track, too. Remember the 90-year-old guy in tambourine in the back? Oh, my God. And they still don't know what song it is. The audience is like... Huh. All they need to know is this is one of the world's greatest, most passionate love songs, rewritten as piano jazz. Like, it's just a disaster. What will you do when you lonely? They just figured it out. No one waiting by your side. Still, some people don't know what song They Still have the audience. You like, which one is this? Yeah, we'll, like, we'll wait till we get to the chorus. 
like the aggressive boredom. He's so bored. I know. He's like, <laughs> he's literally boredom. like, am I getting paid right now? Like, is there a bag underneath the chair? Because this is like so tedious and hideous. He's what? just in it to win it. This is the best. So because I'm a, I'm, this is who I am. I saw Pete Townsend like three or four times on his solo tour. Okay. And the first night I saw him, he was like, in between songs, he was like, uh, we're going to do an acoustic one. Not like that fucking bossa nova Layla that Eric Clapton won the Grammy for. <laughs> I was like, boy, he's a little salty. That's a little throwaway line. He said it the next night. <laughs> then I saw him across the country two weeks later because I just happened to be in town. And he was still, it wasn't a bit. It came up in a different moment. He's like, have I tonight talked about how much I hate Eric Clapton's bossa nova Layla. I mean, he took this beautiful song about longing and just turned it into a pile of dog shit, man. <laughs> I mean, it's like he spent half his solo tour complaining oh, about Johnson. Eric Clapton unplugged. And it had nothing to do with anything other than he was obviously so pissed about it. And, it made me and also, I mean, I, like, I couldn't more. agree more. That's why he's my hero. That's the best. <laughs> That's really great. I didn't, I didn't know <laughs> there was a little vitriol. I'm not like there are several different MTV acoustic records that I really like. Um, in okay. fact, I really like the Nirvana one, which yeah, you could think of as like a close cousin to this, where it's like a, a, a traditionally rock act doing it acoustic. It's not that. It's just this the like the cynicism and yeah. this version of it is just so brutal. Um I, I'm excited. Agree. I'm excited for the album he's got coming out though, unvaccinated. Uh, I think yes. it's what it's called. No, for sure. <laughs> it's right. only 20 minutes long though, because then uh he had to he had to pause the session. Jimmy, keep in mind he's on board with Van Morrison though, so you gotta watch your step. I know they're definitely gonna do a tour together. There's oh, no big time. question about big time. it. And I want them to French kiss and just breathe on each other the whole time. <laughs> Share one microphone. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh 1992. Oh boy. Uh Bush, President Bush pardons the Reagan officials involved in the Iran-Contra affair. Okay, good stuff. Oh, the U.S. Supreme Court reaffirms the right to an abortion in 1992. Just like now. Just yeah, like it's about to happen. <laughs> had a good run. I mean, <laughs> we had Roe v. Wade. The Supreme Court takes it up again in 92. It seems like the issue is settled. Well, I thought that I thought the most sinister, cynical part of yesterday's conversation, and it's because it actually doesn't have anything to do with abortion itself. I am I am pro-choice. I think uh, I'm very strongly pro-choice. I have marched in multiple pro-choice rallies, but I understand completely people's concerns about the procedure. And I understand the spiritual, you know, just hesitation about it. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. But the part of the conversation on Monday that really fried my cheese was we don't need it because now we have equality in the workplace for women. Oh my God, that was really- That funny. is the most like bullshit- Who said that? and oranges. That was Who the said... argument Mississippi was making. Mississippi like, made that argument? There's like two women up here in front of me while I make this argument. What are we even here talking about? It was so, so cynical. It's uh. so- irrefutably stupid and unforgivable. I'm still pissed about that. So so I'm going to go ahead and pre-apologize. First, note, there were several different um, justices appointed by Republicans in the majority in Casey. Yep. And they basically were like, we're not going to overturn it. 
So first, imagine how you would feel if you were a Democrat and you would have elected a Democrat on the whole purpose of the Democrat being pro-choice and they had appointed Supreme Court justices who were like, nah, I'm pro-life now. I'm pro-life. What are you going to do? Like, yeah. So just to note, like Casey was a little bit squirrely in that, like that's a tough get for those yeah. folks. You know what I mean? Like it's oh. not everybody who voted for those presidents, but you know, 20% of those people were like, I'm voting for you so you'll get rid of yeah. this precedent. And then when push came to shove, they're like, nah, not they didn't. Yeah. So I mean, that, so recognize that. And then again, here, it's like, you know, the Supreme Court's appointed by the presidents. Like it does seem, and that's that's in the constitution and that's on purpose. Yep. Like it does seem likely that they're gonna kind of sort of reflect the, the people who, who were elected. That said, but, will this be the most unpopular decision since Dred Scott in terms of public opinion? Oh, no way, issue? man. No, no, not even close to all the stuff that happened in the New Deal. Okay. The, the five horsemen, but so there were five dudes who were left over that's who right. just held the entire New Deal to be unconstitutional. They were just like, <laughs> all of it. Like everything that came before them, they were like, still unconstitutional. <laughs> and FDR had won, like, I mean, you want to talk about landslide. Like he yeah. had won by a jillion votes. <laughs> and then he got reelected by a jillion votes. And then they had, uh, he was going to pack the court. And that's when they changed their mind. But yeah. No, okay. this is exactly like that. This is like a little bit of a rump thing where, I mean, basically through bad luck and also through elections, you know, what can you say? Trump won. Um, now we have this Supreme Court that's not really reflecting the public. Um, right. And so that does have bad ramifications. I just, it'll be the, it'll be the first time in my lifetime that I can remember that the Supreme Court overturns a, a largely popular freedom, takes away a largely popular freedom from the American public. Oh, they, 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 well, I mean, again, I'm not here to argue with it, but the, the campaign finance stuff is like that. When they were like corporations are people and should be allowed to give money, that was yeah, but not that's a not yes, yeah, I agree. That feels but that different. Like and they, they into... that was like from 1912 too. That was a really old precedent. Yeah, but that doesn't reach into your living room on a daily basis and like right. oh, I chan- totally disagree. Doesn't take the that reaches into my living room every day because of elections. Like that hasn't yeah. worked out for me at all. All right, all right, all right. Um, I still they... like the point I'm making, even though you're making no, it you're less good, and less man. and less good. Do you think Biden will appoint more justices? I don't know. I don't know. Unless somebody gets hit by a truck. I mean. No. Why, why can't you just say I want four more people on the court? Constitution. Constitution's okay with that. Yeah. They, he would need some pretty significant changes to the legislative body. That's not going to happen. Yeah. And probably a slightly higher approval rating. But you don't think Joe, Joe Manchin would go with that? Yeah. I'm sure he'd be like, you know what I want to get rid of the filibuster for is adding four more Supreme Court justices. Good luck with that. Timmy. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get. Uh, a little more <laughs> depressed. Four officers are acquitted of wrongdoing in the Rodney King, Rodney King beating case. That was also in 1992. Yes, it was. Golly. Well, let's get to a song, shall we? Let's go to the number one selling album of the year 1992. And we'll just get all the depressing crap out of the way early on oh, wait this is bad too yeah by the way the unforgettable right into the acoustic layla that's a punishing <laughs> yeah. double the good news right is there. that this album really was really a sign of the times you know when i hear this song i think about like you know the casey decision unrest in los angeles like this song really speaks to the country's like bleeding complicated heartbeat it's the number one album some gave all by Billy Ray Cyrus. 
our guide, Jimmy, you must be thrilled. You know, he's really just dipshit John Cougar Mellencamp. He really, that's, that's all he is. So he's got the, he's got the three names. He's got the three names. It's just like everything, all the moves John Cougar Mellencamp could make to be shitty, Billy Ray just makes. It really is. It's like, like if you, it's like if you squeezed John Cougar Mellencamp and it, like, as an orange and ate the peel. That's this record. Timmy, you're not going to defend this? No, this isn't my guy. Garth Brooks is my guy. I know, but this is in the neighborhood. They're, no, they're, they're, they no. just live right next door to each other. No, this they guy's are. this guy's a sellout. <laughs> oh my god, that's a great take. I have a, a gigantic, huge soft spot for Miley Cyrus. Like, there's, I can name oh. five Miley Cyrus songs I like. I cannot do that for Billy Ray, though. I don't have a single one that I like. That's I, amazing. I, this is the top selling album because that's you believe that's that? a pretty good look. Yeah, that's awesome. The um. It's the top. It's the top-selling album within that year, 1992. But the uh, all-time greatest seller that was released in 1992 is ABBA Gold, and ah. we, don't, we don't have to hear anything from that. I would like you. There's some uh, good songs on that. At least I, there yeah. are great. I, I would like you to play a little bit of Galileo, Jeff Simons, and I'll explain why in just a second. on the block the crime was looking up the truth and as the bombshells of my daily fears explode I try to trace them to my youth and then you had to bring up reincarnation over a couple of beers the other night and now I'm serving time for mistakes made by another in another lifetime. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision, king of First of now all, this... that is the greatest song about reincarnation, period. Argue with me. No. I'll t- uh, maybe there's something, maybe there's like an actually Indian song from places where reincarnation is believed in that would be better. I'm trying to think of a song about reincarnation. It's great. I love that song. I, the, I, the, you know, I went to the Bridge School Benefit like 10 years yeah. in a row, that Neil Young's acoustic concert at Shoreline Amphitheater. He gets yeah. huge names. Like I saw Tom York and The Who. David and Bowie. David Bowie. I saw that David Bowie show. Like. Yeah. The best moment of my whole 10 years was the Indigo Girls were playing Chicken Man and I'm up on the lawn 
And a guy like three blankets over turns his Tupperware upside down and starts playing along. And so I do the same thing. And like an honest to God, really good, like percussion drum circle breaks out the drum circle in, in the lawn around me. It's not a drum circle because we're playing along to them. Oh, okay. And we all knew the song. So we knew when to stop. We knew when it was going to slow down. And it was, it was fantastic. It was, they played like a seven minute version with all this improv and we're all following. And at the end, like, the whole section of the lawn I was sitting in like stood up and roared because they'd had this whole extra thing. And you could tell they were like, what's going on in the lawn? You know, they could tell they were like, that's weird. That one section really likes chicken man, but they, they were great. What a great live show. And yeah. I love this record. It's, it's their great, best record. What's the name of the record? Rites of passage. Yeah. It comes great out record. 1992, but we're not playing it because it comes out in 1992. We're playing it. Because it was in 1992 where Pope John Paul II pardoned Galileo and apologized for the Catholic Church's treatment of Galileo. Well, it is a great song. They got there right on time, by the way. It took a minute to figure out where the Galileo was right. So I'm glad that they got it just right exactly where they needed to. Can't you see the Pope like... He was a pretty good guy, I guess. Yeah. He's listening to the, he's like working out with the Indigo Girls, like in his little Pope outfit, like working the Stairmaster. Galileo, he was outside like, the little one is Mars. That's neat. I love telescopes. It's always good when the Catholic Church can, the infallible Catholic Church can say, my be. Um, okay. I do like doing the Pope voice though. I like when you bring up the Pope because I get to do a Pope voice and that, that, make, that gives me the smiles. I need the... Uh, top five rated TV shows in the year 1992, according to AC Nielsen. Whoever gets the most out of five wins this contest. And we do this first. I'll go first. I think The Simpsons was in the top five no. in 1992. Ben. Seinfeld. No. Jeff. Uh, so Seinfeld's two. That's 94. Oh, I have no idea. 92. The first Survivor. Hold <laughs> that show. Ben okay. Barton. Is Cheers still on? It was number nine. Didn't crack our top five. Sorry. I mean, it's interesting because it's a it's you guys are no longer really watching. No, I mean, that's the thing. TV I'm too. I'm like first year teaching. I don't. I don't. The only thing I watch is the Knicks, and that's only I'm only watching the Knicks because Ben is watching the Knicks. That's <laughs> all I watched in 1992. It's Nick games Saturday morning. All I'm right. not kidding. That's pretty much it. Number Give us a hint. One. Give us some hints. Uh, hints. Uh, this has been a number one show in the 70s, 80s, 90s. 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes is the number one show uh, for the oh, year. Oh, good Lord. Uh, the second one. NYPD Blue. No, Roseanne. Okay. Oh, Roseanne. And if you're going to think about stars of sitcoms who have kind oh, of. Oh, the Cosby Show weird no home improvement uh, home improvement is correct yes! how to articulate that good uh, mm. to counterbalance home improvement you would go to cbs for which sitcom instead of a conservative man working tools how about a liberal woman who's a journalist oh, murphy brown murphy, murphy brown. brown excellent uh and then you gotta have someone solving murders oh, murder oh. she wrote Murder She Wrote is correct. Which, my mom, by the way, my grandma loved Murder She Wrote. My so mom much. loved Murder She Wrote. You know what? I had a running joke with her 
that anytime somebody who had once been on WKRP in Cincinnati was this guest, that was the murderer. Yeah. Because one time that was true, like Gary Sandy was on it. And yeah. he was murder. So whenever like Herb Tarlick or Ness Lesnar, like, he's a murderer, he did it. He's like, that's not true. I'm like, oh, it's true. That's <laughs> true. Great, great cross marketing by CBS. Yeah. That's terrific. The WKRP murders. I've got Johnny Carson stepping down in 1992. I want you to rank Johnny Carson, David Letterman, Jay Leno, Conan O'Brien, and Jimmy Fallon. Go. Wait, give it to us one more time. Johnny Carson, David Letterman, Jay Leno, Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Fallon. All right. All right. So uh, Letterman. Yep. Carson. Yep. Conan O'Brien. Yep. And then it's Fallon and who? Leno. Leno. Oh, Fallon, Leno. I agree. Even though I mean, that's the bottom two are like what puddle of vomit to lick. Like that's a tough combo. <laughs> Leno's amazing as a stand-up comedian, but I found him just oh, like so insufferable. Bad. Insufferable yeah. on the Tonight Show. Yeah. Well, we are once again three check marks. We're all in agreement. I love it. But by the uh, way, people, I mean, like the younger people have no idea how great Carson was. Carson was so basic. Yeah, he so was funny. so good. It's so subtle. Just the look at the camera and that's it. You start yeah, laughing. Right. Oh, and I think I may have already recommended this, but I, I can't wait to re-recommend it. People, if they have not done it, should go back and do just a YouTube search for Carson Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, Rodney I know, Dangerfield it's unbelievable. stand up on Carson makes <laughs> me cry. I mean, his commitment to the bit of being a loser. Yeah. I mean, so... it's like a 15 minute set where he's like, here's another joke where I'm a loser. And I'm like, yeah, you are a loser. <laughs> and, and Carson's like, the Carson's, and Carson is gasping for breath. Like, oh, he, comes... he freaking murders Carson. Yeah. He just murders him. Like I've never seen Carson last night. You can hear Carson's like, <laughs> he's like, you can't, can't hold it together. He's like under the microphone. And Dangerfield the whole time is like, I don't even know. I don't even know what's going on here. It's so great. I, he's I, like, my wife is a bitch and she's ugly. And Carson's like, ah, amazing material. Simpler times. <laughs> Uh, although back to school is the, the great underrated. Oh, the I quote back to school every day. Yeah. I tried to make the girls watch it. and I just got no play at all. That, uh, and you know what I just watched that's also incredibly underrated is Midnight Run with uh, oh, De Niro. Uh, same thing. I made the girls watch that. And I was so like, great. Hey, oh, what do you man. think? Hop along Casadicha. Like, oh, no, so dude. Great. I will actually pick up the phone. I'll be like, is this more on number one or more on number two? <laughs> Put more on number two on the phone. <laughs> it has like a hundred great lines that movie. <laughs> yeah. Ah, so ah. good. Um, all right. Well, we, we should probably go to another song before we get to our three albums. This is the highest charting reggae single ever. And it comes out in 1992. I want to see if Ben Barton can name it. Ben, it is the best selling, highest charting reggae single. Do you have a guess right now before we go is it on? Pasta Ducci? Or whatever that song's called. Oh, I like Pasaducci. That no. was 82, though. Go oh, ahead, right. play it for us, Jeff. Here it comes. What's up, man? Hey, yo, yo, what's going on, yo? Sick of time of five holes running up on the block, you know what I'm saying? Yo, Snow, they came around looking for you the other day. Word, word, bust it. In farmer, in a 
I like that licky boom boom. Yeah. I really hard. I remember that really well. I have no beef with that at all. That's great. That's great. That song is great. You need a white Canadian to really bring reggae. I love that you I love that you were like white Canadian. Or Drake. Uh, oh gosh. Um should we break down the Long Island Lolita so people know what the heck happened? No. Uncalled for, Timmy. Let's just, just not, cut that one. Cut. Oh! See what I did there? I said we should just cut that one. Because cutting. No, you got central the wrong, to the story. Wrong, you got the wrong story. You're thinking of Lorena Bobbitt. I am. That's not the Long Island Lolita? No, it's Amy Fisher. Amy Fisher is the, oh, she's the one who was sleeping with the guy and had the wife yeah. shot in the face and she, she the wife lives. Shoots, shoots uh, Mary Jo Buttafuoco in the face. Oh, that do, I do. It doesn't kill it. I do appreciate that it allowed David Letterman to say the la the word Buttafuoco for six years, <laughs> making me laugh every time he said it. I mean, so. what a story. She no, gets shot in the face. Buttafuoco. You cannot survives in order to divorce her husband. He seemed like a great guy. <laughs> he really did, didn't he? <laughs> that guy. Um, and happy or sad, you tell me, is this happy or sad? A shipping container with 28,000 rubber ducks is lost in the Pacific Ocean. To this day, they are still washing up in places around the world. Does that story make you happy or sad? That's a story of pollution that makes me sad. Okay. But they're little rubber duckies. <laughs> there's a book, there's a children's book I used to read to the kids about nine little ducks. It's about that. A shipping container falls off a little ship, but it's only nine really? of them. Yeah. And the 10th one ends up in like a little actual duckling patch and they're all, they all look at him like, I must just be slow. And they let him <laughs> float along with him. It's really funny. <laughs> I love that book. <laughs> all right. On that note, let's get to our three albums. Our three albums. Ben is first. Let's go, Ben. This is an easy choice for me. 1992, Dr. Dre, The Chronic. This is the most influential, really, really, really sets the tone for the West Coast rap. And basically, West Coast rap rules in this decade. Um, Dre's production is amazing. He discovers Snoop Dogg puts him as the first voice you hear on the record. Um, it's a really different sound than we've had before. Uh, instead of like this layered sampling, it's just a straight pull, basically from Parliament Funkadelic. Like there's like a bunch of George Clinton Funkadelic symbol, uh, samples on here. I don't li like this record. I love this record. Jeff, if you will go nothing but a G thing, but start at two minutes. Cause if you start at the beginning, oh, I should just warn people. Um, like the homophobia and the and the misogyny is brutal. It's really bad. It's super bad. I, I was like, oh, we'll just start at the beginning of the song. And the first Snoop verse is like, I just hate bitches. Like that's the like that's the whole thing. So if you start at two minutes, you get a little better flavor for it. All right. Uh, warning, warning given. I'm trying to imagine what else. You know, Disney World should have a similar kind of warning. You know, warning, misogyny and sexism are rampant. Come on in. 
Try the Jungle Cruise. Oh, wait, racism too. Oh, yeah. right, here we go. The Chronic by Dr. Dre. On that ass, what a hell of a gangster lean. Getting funky on the mic like an old batch of collard greens. It's the capital S O S, I'm fresh and double O P D O double G Y D O double G. You see, showing much flex when it's time to wreck a mic. Pimping hoes and clocking a grip like my name was Dolomite. Yeah, and it don't quit. I think they in the mood for some motherfucking G hell shit. Yeah. So right what up, dog? Gotta get them what they want. What's that, G? We gotta break them off something. Hell yeah. And it's gotta be bumping. City of Compton. Where it takes place, so a national attention. Mobbing like a motherfucker, but I ain't lynching. Dropping the funky shit that's making the sucker niggas mumble. When I'm on the mic, it's like a cookie, they all crumble. Try to get close, and your ass I get smacked. My motherfucking homie, doggy dog, has got my back. Never let me slip, cause if I slip, then I'm slipping. But if I got my Nina, then you know I'm straight tripping. And I'ma continue to put the rap down, put the Mac down, and if your bitches talk I'm shit, sorry, I'm is the line, play. never let me slip, because if I slip, I'm slipping? Indeed. Okay. And, and by the way, that's, that's, that's true. That's an actual <laughs> geometric proof right there. That's a QED at the end of that. <laughs> I believe that was Euclid uh, who originally said that. <laughs> it is true. If you slip, then you're slipping. That's it a fact. It is true. Don't argue with the man. Um, what like uh, the discovery of Snoop is great, and Snoop is a super foundational figure. Like, I mean, like just the like the smoothness and the weirdness and the offbeatness of him, and also to do it against Dre, where Dre is still kind of old school. You know what I mean? It's still kind of on the beat and and enunciating as he goes and stuff. It's awesome, and it's also so great. Like, Dre's an amazing producer and a great talent scout, and that combination of things coming together here is amazing. The um, and it's the Iovine docu documentary, right, Jeff? Yeah. The, if you haven't seen the Iovine documentary, it's great. And there's just an insane part of the documentary where he and Dre talk about the fact that he could not sell this record. He had come off of NWA as like the best producer in hip hop. And he had this record in the can and he went around and shopped it around to labels and they were like, well, I don't know. Wow. I just don't know for sure. And I even heard it and was like, wait, what? Like, seriously, I can buy this? And then they put it out and obviously like just the rest is history. How old is Snoop Dogg uh, at this time? Do you know? Is he a teenager still? No, he's older than us for sure. He's definitely older than us. He's done a six month stretch in jail for cocaine yeah, possession. Yeah, he already, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, early 20s, mid 20s. I'll look it up. You but it's like Dre's a 50 year old uncle. And Snoop's like his 20-year-old nephew. I mean, it, really, the way their voices sound, it sounds oh, yeah. like this cross-generational thing. It's part of what makes it work. You know, it's like it, it, it just appeals to such a wide audience just from the sound of their voices. But yeah, yeah it's slower. It's got the, like, the G-Funk groove where they're just like, like, just like that, that doo -doo 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 -doo, like the really, really, really spare production of it. Amazing. So Snoop Doggy Dog is 50 years old. So he's about, what, 21 at the time. Oh, all right. I got but it wrong. More, he's younger than us. More importantly, should we get him on the podcast? Yeah, he's not doing anything. He's 50 years he's old. Handing out, last time I checked, he's handing out Coronas at the beach. He's got time. All right. Do you guys have any contacts with him? <coughs> You're California, Jeff. You know I'll, do what I can, I'll see what I can do. Okay. <laughs> I'll do some reaching out. Uh, good stuff. Jeff, anything more about Dre? We covered a lot of this uh, last time. Um, I, 
I mean, Ben's warnings aside, I have always found the record a little, little rough on my ears. Like I just, it makes me a little, I mean, I'm a gentle woodland nymph. I'm a little, uh, I'm a little uncomfortable and yeah, I never got over it with hip hop. Like I drifted from hip hop partially because I, I, I found myself wincing a lot at the lyrics and, and, uh, and I, I'm not saying I'm, that's, that's a virtue in me at all. It's just a thing. Like I don't like uh, cilantro either. It doesn't make me a better person. It just, but it, it's a barrier for me. The, the, the tone of the lyrics. And also this video played 24 hours a day on MTV and it ends with this woman entering a block party and she thinks she's all that. And she's dressed up kind of nice. And she makes the mistake of looking at somebody with a little bit of disdain. So they pour a bunch of forties all over her head and say, and they're off in disgrace and like laugh about it. It's like, it's, it's I did tough, note the misogyny. I it's did a tough the look, man. It's and the, and the uh, yeah. But so, it's, sonically, it's, uh, it kicks the, the kicks the door down. No question about it. No question about it. I could, when I first heard it, I was like, this sounds so fantastic. Like I just was drawn to it, like bee to honey. I thought it was so compelling. So I don't discount that at all. No, I'm, but, I'm really familiar with that song. Uh, what else does oh, i really like let me ride that song oh, does dude, it let me. me ride and with dre day is on yeah too. by the way the entire record's great the entire is record like is fantastic i mean assuming you can get over the homophobia and uh and the misogyny. misogyny the entire record is great and the samples are great like like his taste is just off the hook yeah. good here <clears throat> yeah all right jeff Simon. Also, just like sorry but to come up to come after um after public enemy and after the beastie voice of the sampling like this sampling is so spare yeah. like it's a very 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 different vibe and it's super well done it's so effective right yep yep yeah it's yeah. amazing to think like yeah. you're not it doesn't even build on top of what people did before it dis it like disassembles what was done before and puts it together differently. oh no man dude and this is a vibe that like continues on to today like this created an entire mode of rapping yeah yeah great. you're right and you can hear like Snoop sounds like he's from the future. The rapping so off, oh, beat, off beat and off syllable. It's in, I was yeah. really drawn to that too. Like the whole like on top of the beat thing, like you can hear it in that snow song we played. I mean, like, the difference between icky boom boom yeah into that do but that but did it that but deep by double double G. I mean, it's it's so oh much God, more complicated. Dude, yeah, totally. And the spelling out thing when Snoop yeah. spells, it's the greatest. It really like, is. I just I just want him to read the dictionary to me one letter at a time. It's amazing. <laughs> he actually would be great to like the voice of Webster's. Like when you know you click on a word, yeah. that would be great. That would really be good. Hot dog. H to the O to the D to the D O G G. No, when but this eating, is one of the when you're eating the girls... something delicious. That's a hot dog. That would be amazing. Like the girls didn't get they they probably still don't get this at all. But they'll be like just talking about uh, canines, and I'll be like, you mean the D O double G? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they don't get it. All right, Jeff, it is your turn. Oh, I'm taking such, I'm taking such a turn. I've got a bad feeling. I've got a really bad feeling. I I, I have an actual feeling about what Jeff's going to choose. And he's just poking me in the eye. I'm poking Ben from a long distance. Wait, can you tell us what you had originally picked before you decide? No, because it's next week. Oh, okay, okay. So you're going to just move something from 92 to 93. It's fine because they put out a better record in 93. So it's more appropriate. Um, 
So I'm take I took my 93 record off the shelf and moved 92 band to 93 because I love the record I'm going to talk about next week. Okay. But um, I'm doing this to Ben. First of all, I'm doing this. I'm just doing this because it's going to be so fun to like, just fry. Also, I can't believe you're not going to choose Westerberg. No, we've already talked about the replacements. I'm not doing it. Westerberg is different than the replacements. Help no, me out. It's just, not. just call an audible and do that instead. No, I'm doing this. Instead. I've got notes. I've got notes. I'm like, um, so. <laughs> I'm so excited. Burlington, Vermont. Oh, thank you, place. friend. It's thank a, you. It's not a place where you think about music coming from necessarily. Now, my dear friend, Clint Beerman, who's been yes. leading the grift there for decades, he's a Burlingtoner. Rich Price of the Sweet Remains, another outstanding uh, combo, makes his home in Burlington, Vermont. But back in the late 80s, it was not what you would call a hotbed for exporting culture unless it was maple syrup and ice cream. I know. Um, and yet, somehow, one of the great phenomenons of, of 20th century American culture rose out of this little micro community around the bars of Burlington, Vermont. And wait, is it Kenny G? It is not Kenny <laughs> G. Even better than Kenny G. Uh, and it goes without saying that uh, devoted listener, Eric Becker, opportunity knocks, my friends. This this segment is for you. In we really 19, should have had Becker. We'll, we'll, eight, let's get him, we'll get him next week. In 1987, a bunch of weirdos met. They put a band together. They started gigging around boarding schools and around the Vermont area. And it was a silly group. They were, uh, they were mishmashing a whole bunch of things together. Um, but just like spectacularly people loved them and they kept growing and growing and growing they made a record themselves for like in a weekend at a vermont studio and sold it out of the trunk of their cars and they sold hundreds of them every night and they signed a deal with a major label and then that major label went out of business six months after and so the second record kind of came and went you couldn't find it in stores but, but the major label Electric got some money behind the band. And in 1992, they put out what was essentially their third record, but really the first record that anybody in America had a chance to buy. And by that time, they were a phenomenon on the concert circuit, on a concert circuit that they kind of helped reinvent. The band is Fish, P-H-I-S-H. Um, and I'm going to start with everything that's... I'm going to uh, start with all of the things that are bad about this band that I'm going to grant to Ben. Okay. Before he, uh, first of all, the lyrics. Oh, thank you. The Don't lyrics even try. of these songs are terrible. So they're absurdist, but they're not fun absurdist. They're <laughs> not like Zappa absurdist. They're not like, you know, comic book absurdist. They're just absurd. Um, occasionally, Fish writes a song and, the, and I hear the lyrics. I'm like, oh, I actually... I find those lyrics kind of cool. Like I like the lyrics to the song Free. I really like the lyrics to the song Strange Design. I actually find them kind of moving. By 1996, they were actually trying to write about things. But in 1992, they're writing very silly things. Um, and the songs have silly names. And the things that happen in the songs are very silly. They are a difficult distraction to move through. Number two, the scene around the band oh, is boy. troublesome, right? If you ever went and saw the Grateful Dead in the original iteration of the band pre-1994, right? The Dead were a show and then the Deadheads were also a show. 
by 1996 and 1997, that's what a fish concert was like. For me, I had to endure fish fans in order to go see fish. Now, it wasn't like that when I first started going. When I first saw fish, it was at my college. It was all my friends. Two times. Yeah, twice. And, and one time, my band opened for him. And the second time I saw fish, it was at a club that held 150 people, and there were eight people in it, four of whom I dragged to see them, right? By the time I saw them when they were a big concert act, I found the whole thing around it ridiculous. It was a bunch of mostly white kids who obviously had a lot of money, but were spending their free time traipsing around in homemade clothing, kicking the hacky sack around and getting high and kind of waiting to inherit their parents' company. All of the stereotypes about fishdom came from somewhere. And obviously not every fish fan is like that. I was there too, but a lot of guys were like that. And you spent half your night like fending yourself off from other fish fans trying to sneak into better seats don't love the scene they are too clever by half ben hates clever music and many fish songs are grooving along and then they get clever there's like eight bars of and the fans know all the little things and they you know and it's a little silly and it, I, and many times a very interesting piece of music finds itself interrupted in the flow for little to no reasons. They are responsible for the jam band phenomenon and the well, problem, the, re, the recursion of it, the I recursion mean, the of the jam band first. phenomenon. Well, no, but the dead were its own thing. There weren't like 35 other bands in the dead's wake doing what the dead did. There was only the dead, right? Maybe oh, but, I mean, brothers? leftover salmon. This is that's all mule. fish. No, no, no. All that shit is fish. I fish. thought that was that happened when we were in college. The fish paves the way for all those groups, like government mule, leftover salmon, aqueous, whatever. Like the Dave Matthews uh, Band, all of those things. Uh, uh, what was that band? Oh, uh, never. I keep going. Um, a mo, right? Like yeah, mo, oh, mo, Umphrey's McGee. All yeah. of these bands, they all exist because Fish created a scene Panic. for people. Yes, right. Oh, and, yes. and the problem with jam bands is some of them suck. <laughs> like I love a great jam band. I really don't like a bad jam band. Right. The Velvet Underground created a hundred thousand bands, and a lot of them were good. Fish created a whole lot of bands in their wake who are really, really not good. <laughs> so I grant all that up front. But here are some things. Here's why I like this band. This is a wholly original group. This is a very weird, it's a four piece. It's been the same four guys the whole time. They learned how to play with one another. They play off one another's styles and they developed into pretty interesting, unique players within one another. And they, they aspired, and I don't think they, any longer I would say they aspired to this, but they aspired at one point not to sound like anybody else. And they were good enough to occasionally get there. That's pretty special. One out of a thousand bands can actually sound like nothing else, right? And this is one of those bands. You know you're listening to Fish five seconds after you start listening to them, mainly because of the lead guitar player, Trey Anastasia, who is a great, not good, great guitar player. Which and that's we'll fair. Hear, I won't argue that at all. Which we'll hear in a minute, right? Um, like Can in Germany, I would say that Fish and Can have a lot in common. They do a thing that they have this completely unique take on rock and funk that is wildly Caucasian and aspiring to grow past its Caucasianness in ways that takes it to places that no other band sounds like. Fish is not a good funk band, 
but they are not not funky if that makes sense like if you tried to, if they tried to play <laughs> funk rock they would be disaster just like can when you listen to a can song it's really hypnotically groovy but it sure as hell isn't funk music it's four germans playing exactly on the beat like a computer <laughs> but it does something unique and interesting and i find it when they, when they really get it going, I find it really cool and hypnotic. I feel the same way about fish when they go for the outer reaches. It is a great rare example of weird art going global. I love when something totally weird gets really, really popular. That's fair. 78,000 people attended a fish three-day fish concert in 1996 without a single piece of paid advertising. Like, that just doesn't happen. A band no one has ever heard who was on the radio says, hey, we're going to take over an Air Force base for three days in August, you should come. And 80,000 people are like, yeah, we should do that this summer. And they're just there at wow. four o'clock in the afternoon on day one, wow. right? And Ben will hate this, but there's no, what is the center square bingo of this podcast? Bonnaroo. I saw him at Bonnaroo. There is no Bonnaroo without Fish. Fish creates Whoa. the audience in the 90s that Bonnaroo entertains in the 2000s. How dare you? Ben, I'm not wrong. Ben, I am not wrong. Without with your fish, posters behind you, mantle, without fish training kids, that one of the things you do in the summer is go see live improv improvisational weird music. There is no Bonnaroo. Bonnaroo is mutated into something very different. But the first one, two, three, four, oh, five yeah. years, I went to the very first Bonnaroo when it was a total hippie festival. It's a fish concert, hundred percent. I can't remember. I don't think fish played though. No, they went, it wasn't big enough for fish at first. Like they asked fish and fish was like, I'm sorry, we're going to do it ourselves. We have our own Bonnaroo. It's called when fish ends their tour and invites a hundred thousand people to a field in the Northeast. And then Bonnaroo grew into the thing that fish could come be at. But all Bonnaroo is, is fish fans wanting to do something before fish comes to their town. And that that's good. Fish saved live music in the 90s oh trey anastasia was there oh he was as a solo oh, okay. act oh yeah, that's yeah, awesome totally. perfect right all right what are you gonna play and the last thing i'll say before i play something is for all of their faults they're fun their faults are goofy faults their faults aren't we are bigger than jesus we're the smartest people in the world they don't make the faults of hubris that are really annoying they make the faults of dorky vermonters who think something's <laughs> funny that isn't which I find a lot more forgivable than the other way around. Like when the Rolling Stones make a mistake, I'm like, oh, because they're like, we're the biggest thing in the world and look what we did. I'm like, that is not good. When Fish says, <laughs> isn't this funny? I'm like, not really. But I also like, they don't, they don't present things as if they should be treated like the Mona Lisa, right? In fact, I still maintain that they probably find themselves bemused and bewildered by all the success in the first place. So here is... Track 13 from A Picture of Nectar. It's a song called Chalk Dust Torture, which tells you everything you need to know about the lyrics. Oh, boy. I'm going to pick it up at the two minute and 22 <laughs> seconds so you can hear a Trey solo. If you hear the next minute and you're like, boy, I fucking hate that, there is no reason to do any further investigation. If you hear that and you're like, oh, that's pretty good, then I have a recommendation from you on the other side of this clip. Here we go. A Picture of Nectar. By fish. So who can I learn all the facts that I've learned? I sat in the chairs and my synapses burned. The torture of chalk dust collects on my tongue. My thoughts follow my vision and dance in the 
Wow. Muted, man. Wow. Fish has about a million releases. They've released like every concert they've recorded since they've played since 2002 as a live release on their website. On December 1st, 1992, which was uh, this, we're recording on December 2nd. So it's almost precisely what, 39 years ago tonight. Fish played a show at a little school in Granville, Ohio called Denison University. That show is available to listen to on their website. And since my household just became a Denison household, Woo! congrats to the Gene Pool for getting into his early decision school. We're about to send the boy to Denison. I thought I would shout out Fish's live show from 1992 as a perfectly fine place to start your fish investigation. Or you can uh, take Ben's advice that's coming in the down. next five seconds and move on. Eric, I did my best. So the first thing I'll say is you chose a disarming selection. And basically anytime that guy's doing a real guitar solo, I'm yeah. very happy. He can really, really play. When you started with the lyrics, I was like, oh, then he comes in with a guitar solo. I was like, oh, and then they went into like a weird thing where like they do the little thing you were saying. It's like a 10 second weirdness. I know. And I was like, oh, no. And then he went back to control. So I was like, OK, when we they played two times in Haverford, right? They did. Yeah. OK. Um, I can't remember which time it was. Maybe it was both times. Dude, their encore was Highway to Hell by ACDC. And they shredded so hard on Highway to Hell by ACDC yep. that it actually made me like them less. <laughs> and here's why. It's a little bit like the Cone Brothers. Like the Cone Brothers are capable of making an amazingly entertaining, super awesome movie. Like Fargo, um, no Country for Old Men. Like, I mean, they've made some movies that I'm like, oh, anyone would enjoy this. Yeah. But then they'll randomly make like two, three movies in a row where they're like, just no one will want to see this. And we just don't care at all. Um, there's something special about that type of artist that just really bugs me. Super bugs me. The gap between like the thing that they're capable of. And it's, 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 it's like Fish knows it. They know they're capable of that. And they're like, yeah, sometimes we give you that. But then other times we give you this stuff that's unlistenable crap. And, and I feel like they know. Maybe that's, you disagree, That's Jeff. an amazing comparison. I, I love that. I feel like Fish they the know. And they're like, we just don't even care. This is what we feel like doing right now. And you're going to have to sit through it. Um, and awesome. so for maybe for other people, they, they can find appreciation for all of the different facets of it. I just can't at all. And basically... Any of the solos that are not a guitar, I mean, the piano solos and the bass solos, I mean, come on. Anything that's not a guitar solo is brutal, brutal, brutal. They actually and the don't parts do... where they're like, and like the keyboards come in, I mean, it's like, oh, just stab me in the face with a pencil. Like, I that's just hilarious. can't stand it. So bad. On a related topic, uh, the Disco Biscuits. Oh, another yeah. one. All right. So the Disco Biscuits keyboardist is a former boyfriend of a dear friend of mine. And so I've seen the Disco Biscuits, I don't know, five times. And uh, this is a related topic, I promise. The Disco Biscuits, similarly, the guitarist can really play. Unlike, I mean, basically, I, I'll take it on Jeff's word, and I can sort of tell. I mean, the bassist is really good, and the pianist is really good, and or whatever keyboard is. And the drummer is pretty good. I don't think the drummer is good enough for the, the, the style that they play, but he's still pretty good. Anyhow, the Disco Biscuits only has one guy who can really play, which is the guitarist. They came out to play in Knoxville. And the first 20 minutes was just instrumental 
soloing with the different people taking turns. Ugh. I started a chant of words, words, words <laughs> from the back. <laughs> and I got maybe 50 people to chant <laughs> words at them. Like, words are good. It's like, give me words. <laughs> oh, you are the best. That that is, that's that's, that's my take. That's my take right there. Fair enough, man. Yeah. Fair enough. So, By the way, the first bottle rule lineup, you want to hear it? Yeah. All right. Widespread panic, widespread panic, and Trey Anastasia, the top two. There you oh, go. The panic is the, it's so such a Ben Harper. Yeah. Who I actually really like. And Ben but, Harper but turned and, into a jam band artist. Like yeah, he, Ben he Harper in 2002, to... though, is still killing it. Yeah. String Cheese, who I do not like. Oh. Phil Lesh and Friends with Bob Weir. There you oh. go. Bella Fleck, who I also don't like. Galactic, which I have a little more use for. Government yeah. Mule. And by oh. the way, just listen to this. Jack Johnson and Nora Jones. Yeah, wow. Right Isn't that amazing? Exploded. Right before both those records totally. exploded. And then they actually have a couple of hip-hop. They got Jurassic 5, which yep. is like that like leftover hippie um, rap act. Les Claypool, Moe, Ween. Yeah. One of the dudes from Ween, maybe multiple dudes from Ween are from Knoxville. Um, Keller Williams, Blind Boys of Alabama. Yeah. It's a good look for them. Black Alicious, who I actually like legitimately really like. Uh, Colonel Claypool, Cut Chemist. Yeah. Well, he like was it's... he was the Jurassic Five. He, that's he came out of that. So totally. DJ Logic, North Mississippi All Stars, Old Crow Medicine Show. That is a jam band lineup, though. Oh, for like, sure. And dude, Knoxville's band. own Grand Torino. There you go. There. Grand Torino listed above Colonel Bruce Hampton, which is impressive. That is pretty good. I saw Colonel Bruce Hampton open for fish. That was a hell of a jam band. That worked out for you. It was no. great. You kidding? That was when O'Teal Burbridge was in the band. It's the first time I saw O'Teal play, and like, that's just a jaw dropping experience to see him play You're bass amazing, up close. I love so it. just today, dedicated listener Nina Plank. We should have a name for our dedicated listeners. Friends, right. I believe, is what we call them. Yeah, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Generous friends. He says, 50 years of music podcast, more bubblegum, less challenging. Because I know that 50 years of music endorsed bubblegum will bring me joy, but not nausea nor diabetes. Okay, do it, Timmy. You've got to help us because we've been right. Mike will not be happy. I am saying the fish, the, fish, the chronic combo. Did you podcast. guys not remember four minutes ago when we played Icky Boom Boom? Yeah, she got the bubblegum today. <laughs> She's got snow on repeat right now. I think she gets, she's talking specifically about our three albums. What yeah, we, what do you got, buddy? Album of the year. You know, in 1992, I'm still in college. I know you guys have gone off onto your adventures post-college. We are Not essentially men, I'm at yeah. Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts, pursuing my degree in English, style section editor of the Northeastern News. I am living the good life. And there's one band that I just had on my CD player all the time. And that was a Boston band known as the Lemonheads. It's a shame about Ray. Go. It's a shame about Ray by the Lemonheads.
a lot of people think that song is about a friend of his, a childhood friend, but um, it was about when the Bruins traded Ray Bork uh, to the Avalanche. It was really, it hurt us in Boston is what happened. Dave. <laughs> ah, good stuff. It is good right, stuff. So am I right that Mrs. Robinson was the actual hit off this record? Yeah, right? the that remake the of Mrs. That Robinson. The radio. That was a good yeah. one. Also, uh, Rudderless with Juliana Hatfield doing backing vocals. And I was working, I was doing my co-op at the Boston Globe at the time, working with Juliana Hatfield's mother, who was like the fashion director of the Boston Globe. Juliana Hatfield three, do you guys like them? Yeah. Mm. It okay. sounds, like, okay. sounds like you weren't in love with her. Indeed. Oh no, Fair. she was cute. You, you were in love with her. I, yeah. I, I acknowledged her cuteness from afar, but... Uh... <laughs> Kevin Brown will be listening and will be cheering us on right now because he's a big fan. He probably knows so much more about the Lemonheads than I do. I saw the Lemonheads. They were they were kind of sloppy. He was really up and down. Like he could be pretty wrecked. And he and, had a uh, pretty pretty bad problem. Pretty, yeah, he, I, I think the night I saw him was not his best night. But I mean, like you know, what's there's a lot of there's a lot I love on there. I like rock and stroll a lot. What's the song on this record that does the song kicks ass? I like that. Oh, that's the second song, Confetti. That's Confetti, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Actual Evan Dando song that's a cover. It's my favorite song by this band or by that artist. And it's not Mrs. Robinson. Jeff, can you guess what it is? It's an Evan Dando cover. Yes, it says Evan Dando dash the Lemonheads is, is how he's recognized on this as this. Don't know. What is it's it? It's a tribute record that comes out in 1993, and I think the woman's got ALS. Oh yeah, from uh, Sweet Relief. Which one Dude, does he do? He does. He does an unbelievable three minute just acoustic cover of Frying Pan. Yeah, that's by Victoria awesome. Williams. I'm and by the way, it. like I'm not going to choose it in '93, but the Sweet Relief album is fan. Fantastic. It sure is. All of those songs are great. Crazy and that Mary, version of it is so Mary beautiful. Go Round, Summer of Drugs. That record's great. Opal, Opelousas, or however you pronounce that. The yeah, Marie yeah. Covers. Sweet oh, oh, by Maria oh. McKee, right? Yeah, totally. Oh, Maria McKee. Ah, oh, speaking of love, golly. One laugh in the middle of a struggle. Eight diamond at the bottom of a puddle Did you ever stare at the moon Till you saw double I hear you walk away yeah, that's from great. That Victoria Williams tribute record really something special. Yeah, man. Well, the songs are amazing. Matthew and Sweet they really brought that. us some great performances. Like that performance of that song is so beautiful. Like his roundness to it. Just love huh. it. I would love Evan Dando's voice. I mean, yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. It's well, 1992, I'll be graduating from college in 1993. Can't wait to pick next week's album. And Jeff, you're feeling strong about I'm your feeling pick. so strong. I'm so glad I, I, I birthed that fish baby. I'm really feeling like the rest <laughs> of the 90s are going to roll out like a carpet. I'm really By excited. By the way, Jeff, in, in trial practice, we call what you did taking out the sting. So let's say you have a witness and the yeah. witness has been accused of perjury and they've beaten their wife on direct. You bring all that up. So the jury hears it from you rather right. than on cross. Did you yep. see how Jeff did it? He was like, here are all of Ben's points. He laid them all out. So I had to just be like, yeah, sure. And it's amazingly he, done. Very persuasive. 
And then he pointed out the fact that you are sitting in the office that Fish built with all your Bonnaroo posters on the wall. Office that Fish built is what I'm calling that office for the next six episodes. That's going to work out really nicely for me. All right, gentlemen. Woo, that's funny. another triumph, my friend. Thank you, my friend. See you later. Adios. Bye. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour.